Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Good evening, sir. Good evening, how are you? I'm very well, thank you. Welcome all to Legends of the 70s, where we take a trip down memory lane and revisit those halcyon days of the beautiful game. And if we find a tavern, we'll drop in and raise a glass or two, as my guest today, David Moss of Swindon, Luton and Tampa Bay, shares his memories with us. How are you, mate? You okay? Yeah, very good, thank you. Yeah, looking forward to this. Absolutely. First of all, David, um, you were born in 1952 on the 18th of March. I want to know thanks, about... Thanks for reminding me. <laughs> yeah, the years <laughs> just fly by. It didn't seem five minutes till we were watching you on Match of the Day in that wonderful, iconic Luton Town kit, um, scoring all them goals and scoring goals at St Andrews as well, I have to say, as well as Anfield. Your goal oh, yes, record yes. was quite phenomenal. So we're going to get into that a little bit later in the podcast. But I want to know a little bit about your upbringing. You come into the world in 1950. Where did your football DNA come from? Your mother or your father? <laughs> Good question. My dad was a was a, a, like a non-league player, local. Yeah, my dad obviously uh, he was in the navy at sixteen in the war. So um, in those days, that's what it was like, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. Yeah. Um, but his, he loved football. He took um, he started a junior team in Whitney, where we where we came from, Whitney Town. And basically, I played for anybody uh, who had a football team. I joined the boys' brigade because they had a football team. I, jo- I joined some church group, I think, because they had a football team on a Sunday morning and things like that. I was also, I've got the record for being the youngest player ever to play for my primary school. How old was you? I was seven and I played for the team in the, <clears throat> excuse me, obviously the team was um, 11 and under. Yeah. So I was very young, but I, I understand somebody did tell me that record still stands. Probably because they don't play football now. No, but that is very young. Because anybody that's played football and, and knows the age groups, we, in the old days we played under-11s, under-12s. Now they play the small-sided games. But to yeah. play for the fourth years, really, when pretty much you were a first year, that is yeah. unbelievable. Yeah, it was good, good times because... Yeah. I can remember when we played, we played during school time, so maybe on a Wednesday afternoon and the whole school would be around the football pitch when we played another local Oxfordshire team. So it was lovely. I can remember it very clearly. And then progressing through the ranks, going to the senior school, uh, well, junior school, then senior school. Did you play for the the, the district or the county? What was the next stage for you? Yeah, it was I went to a grammar school actually, which was a non-football grammar school. Right. It was a rugby school, but because of my football links, I was playing every Saturday and Sunday. I was selected for the Whitney and District team, and then consequently, it led to the playing for the county Oxfordshire schoolboys at sort of fourteen, fifteen. Um, and then and then I went. I was playing for Whitney Town when I was fourteen, which yeah. was a senior. It's in the Hellenic League. I don't know if you've heard of the Hellenic League. But no, it's a, it's a very good, strong league down south. Mm. Um, a physical league. And, and I was playing, first of all, I trained with them when I was 14. And I played for the first team when I was 15. Yeah. So I, so I did start very young in all, all the sort of teams and groups that I played for. I was the youngest player. Again, that's quite incredible for a young 14-, 15-year-old kid to be playing adult football. How did that complement the district and, and your Sunday team, etc., and, and what have you, playing for men's sides? Um, it made it, I shouldn't say easy, but it made it yeah. slightly easier. Yeah. Because the, the obviously the men's football in those days was very physical. Mm. Um, 
but I loved playing for the for the district and the and the county, and we had some good players. Um, and it was good times, you know. But I I can remember playing four times at a weekend: yeah. Saturday morning, Saturday afternoon for Whitney Town, Sunday morning, Sunday afternoon for different teams. Um, so we didn't care then in those days about um, tiredness or anything like that. We were we were young and fit. So was you scouted up from the county games? Because, you know, when yeah. you're playing county games, there's scouts all over the place. And it was Swindon or Oxford that you could have gone to. You chose Swindon because they were your boyhood club, wasn't they? Yeah, yeah, that's where, even though we lived closer to Oxford, mm. uh, my dad used to take me to Swindon most weekends. Well, when we could, I went to all the midweek games and stuff. But if I wasn't playing, we would go to Swindon. Um, but I also, I was scouted by Tottenham when I was 14. Right. And, and actually signed schoolboy forms for them. Oh, OK. Um, but it didn't work out there. I went up there for a week uh, during the school holidays. Absolutely terrified me going up to London and yeah, did. Mm. staying up, staying, you know, in, in digs and stuff. And I was actually happy when I, I was told that they weren't going to offer me a, a, an apprenticeship as it was in those days. I was quite relieved, to be honest. I bet you were uh, 1952, so you're in that age group. What other players were around at that time that you played against county or youth level? What was Ooh. the? Um, can you remember any of the players? Opposition, I can't really. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. yeah. I can't really. I mean, there was some good. A lot of the lot of the te- uh, boys that played in the county team with me en- ended up having uh, good sort of semi-pro careers, if sure. you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, good good non-league standard. Um, but off the top of my head, I can't... I might be doing somebody a disservice here, but I can't really remember anybody sort of going on and, and doing well professionally. Growing up, who were your heroes? Oh, my hero and still my hero, Don Rogers at Legend. Swindon. What a player. Best player. How he didn't play for England, well, he was a, he was playing in the second and third division with Swindon. That's why he didn't play for England. Mm. And then he went to Crystal Palace and showed what he could do in the first division. So, fantastic player. Let's just dwell on Don for a moment because scoring uh, goals at Wembley against Arsenal in the '69 League yep. Cup final on. You could only describe it a mud heap of a pitch, but he got <laughs> great balance and grace. Could go either way. But he was a wonderful a, player. Got a stand named after him, haven't they, at Swindon? That's how great yeah, that fella yeah. is. Yeah, he's a legend. And I mean, it's 1969 when they won the League Cup. Mm. Also got promotion that year from yeah. the third division. That was the year I signed. What was so he... 1969? I signed professional at the end of the season that they'd won promotion and won the League Cup. So those those lads in that dressing room were still my heroes. Let's have a name so that was strange. of some of the players that played for Swindon Town and won promotion and that cup. Yeah, I can tell you the, the winning team at Wembley for the League Cup. Go on. Downsborough, Thomas, Trollope, Butler, Burroughs, Harland... Uh, Heath, Smart, Smith, Noble, Rogers. Was that the that, great? That was. The, was that the great on, David Noble that went on to play for Burnley? No. Oh, okay. Peter Noble. Yeah, oh, Peter blimey. Noble went to Burnley. Okay, yeah. Sorry, uh, yes, Peter Noble. He got. Yeah. He, he was um, a bald-headed lad, wasn't he? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Brilliant, brilliant player. Yeah, that's the one. Yeah. Uh, Don Rogers, Roger Smart, John Trollope, who's one of my heroes and, and a legend. Uh, John played nearly a thousand games, I think, yes. and only one club. So mm-hmm. spent all of his life at Swindon as player and coach and assistant manager and manager and goodness knows what else. So all heroes of mine. Rod Thomas, who went to Derby County with Dave Mackay and was a Welsh international, was a brilliant player when Derby won the league. Yeah. So there were some good players there. So what was it like, your upbringing there at Swindon, getting in amongst your heroes? How did it feel for a young David Moss? Flying I was overawed. I bet you was. Honestly, I yeah. was I was gobsmacked to be changing, uh, you know, shared in the same changing rooms and, and the training field. I didn't get anywhere near the first team. Yeah. I was like a 
making up the numbers basically until I had a stroke of luck and Dave Mackay, who, who was player coach at the time, became manager. And um, he, he, he must have seen something in me that, that he liked in training and then he had me training with the first team and started involving me in, as a substitute and that when I'd basically been nowhere near the first team. So that was that was a stroke of luck, really. You managed before, Dave McCoy. How did you get on with that regime? Because Dave seemed <laughs> to really change your career path, didn't he? Yeah, Dave did. I, did, I wouldn't have got anywhere with yeah. the previous, you know, not being horrible, but mm. he didn't rate me. He did, I don't think he even liked the younger players, to yeah. be honest. Mm. Uh, none of the young boys got a chance. He was only interested in his 14 or 15 senior players. Yeah. So we just made the numbers up. I played for the reserves. I started scoring goals and, um, you know, doing what I had to do, basically. And um, Dave obviously saw something that he liked. And that was the beginning of it, really, for me. Rolling on 50 years, we don't have reserve team football. But that was or must have been so instrumental in your development, playing against seasoned pros that maybe have injured and were coming back to fitness and playing in those reserve team games. That was a great learning curve yeah. for me. Well, any young player, because you, you played on a Saturday or a Tuesday. Uh, when your first team was away, you played on the main pitch, yeah. the main stadium. So I was at 17 playing in the reserves, and we were playing at White Hart Lane in Highbury and, and West, um, West Ham, you know, um, uh, Birmingham City. Right. They were in the football combination at the time. Cardiff yes, we City, uh, Chelsea... So it was it was great experience, Crystal Palace. You know, you're playing at all the first team uh, grounds, so it was lovely. Because there was two leagues, wasn't there? There was the football combination that you've just alluded to. My team, Birmingham City, were in that, and then Aston Villa were in the uh, the Central the, League, wasn't they? Yeah, that was it. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Central. There was a yeah Central League. That's right. Yeah, which in, included the Manchester clubs and yeah. So. I think Birmingham are just slightly south of the border, allegedly. I think what happens, it's making up the numbers, isn't it? So you kind of, yeah. if you're in the Midlands, you can either be in one or the other, I suppose. Like, you know, yeah. that they have north and south. In the middle, you can be in either, depending on what numbers that you've got of northern teams or southern teams. What was your greatest memory from reserve team football? And what was your greatest thing that you picked up from plying your trade on those pitches with those players? Um, I think learning to cope with the physicality of it, the verbals from, you know, good old seasoned pros who were maybe coming to the end of their careers and threatening to break your leg if you went past them. And Was that Tommy Smith? <laughs> people, <laughs> I wouldn't say it was Tommy, but people <laughs> like that, you know? Yes would say, you you go past me once, I'll give you that one, son, but you do it again and I'll snap you in half. So that was the sort of thing you had to put up with. It was an eye-opener for, you know, I, I played for Whitney Town. I came from Whitney, which is a small town in Oxfordshire, and it opened my eyes to things, really. But, yeah, I think I think the, the reserve football was real football, whereas nowadays I have my doubts that it actually... Mm. prepares young players for first-team football. No, I absolutely agree with you. you. You learn so much by playing against those seasoned pros because that they'd all give it you. And as a young one, you must look at that and listen to them and think, geez, yeah. what's going on here? I'm... You had to listen. Yeah, you did, yeah. I mean, are they being serious? Will he break me back if I go round the back of him again? But you're thinking, well, perhaps I'm not going to try that because <laughs> he, he may be serious. I, I was a bit of a gambler. I had to. Tr- I had to keep yeah. trying. But you know, at the end of the game, these people would come up and and say, "Well done, son," and yeah. shake your hand and, and pat you on the head. You know, things like that. Mm. So it's just in the in the game, and, and their I suppose their competitive spirit comes through, and yeah. uh, their attitude, and that they you know they probably thought we're coming to the end of our careers, and you got these young whippersnappers trying to take the Mickey out of us, basically. Which we weren't really. We were just doing what we were sort of taught to do. It was literally but, a welcome to the professional game, son. Professional football. Yes, yeah. it was. Definitely. But, I mean, some of the 
ones that weren't in the first team, say they were left out of the team or coming back from injury. Yeah. So the likes of um, some of the Swindon boys who were my heroes were playing also in the reserves when they yeah. were not selected or because they, they only ever took 12 players away with them. So there was three or four from that squad that would stay and play in the reserves. And it was great. You learned from those as well. Wonderful experience. Because again, in those days, we didn't have the subs that we have today. The three no. or the five subs. It was like one substitute. That's <laughs> it. Before 1966, no substitute. No subs. That's right. Completely. Goalkeepers. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Moving up front and when they got injured and somebody else going in goal. Yeah, I remember it well. You remember that Liverpool game well. You had three goalkeepers that day, didn't we, you? We did, yeah. Yeah, that must have been an extraordinary situation. And Kirk Stevens, the snooker player, it wasn't him, was it? It was Kirk Stevens that played for Luton Town that went in goal. Kirk, yeah, he was. Um, he was from Nuneaton, actually. Kirk. Oh, okay. He played for Nuneaton, and that's where David Pleat, who used to be manager of Nuneaton, right, many years ago, and he knew Kirk from then, and he signed him for I don't know. £10 or something ridiculous. Mm. Whatever it was, it was a bargain. It did fantastic at Luton. So that... Kirk went in goal. Jake Finley was the goalkeeper. He was also from Villa. Yes, he was, yeah. Mm. And Jake got injured and did his ribs or something. And Kirk went in. And then Mal Donaghy went in in the second half. And we still managed to get a point. Quite incredible. And got clapped off as well, didn't you, by the Andrew? Yeah, they were good. The, 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 yeah, the, the cop and everything were fantastic. Again, I think they appreciate good football, you know. Again, they were brought up with good football, and I think football fans in those days were more appreciative of the opposition and would give you a round of applause rather than hurl abuse at you these days. Who was the the player or players or teams that um, gave you the most difficult games, David? I think when you played the likes of... When we got promotion from the second division... Um, we were a good team, but I think when we got into the first division, it, it hit us really that this is a different level. So when you played the, you know, Arsenal and Man United and uh, Liverpool and Everton, they were too strong for us. But we had to learn quickly. Yeah. And we had a manager who could see this and he strengthened the team with three wonderful signings, which Peter Nicholas, Mick Harford, and Steve Foster, the heart of the team, the spine of the team, and that kept us up, basically. Because we were getting bullied. We were getting bullied by, you know, good players and top teams. And we would have gone down without those lads. Three hard players as well. Very hard, weren't they? Yeah, a bit of experience as well. Yeah. But all good players. They could all play. Who gave you your most difficult game? Or what team did you... I wouldn't say fear playing against, but what team did you play against and you thought, you know what, it's always a difficult game, this one, are you? Most games I played, (laughs) especially in the first division. (laughs) Yeah. I think um, the people that were tough to play against were the likes of John Gidman. Yeah, Giddy's great. And Gary Stevens at Everton. Yes. Because they they were quick and they they wanted to attack all the time. Yeah. You know, they wanted to go on the overlap and it was, oh my God, this is a bloody nuisance. They used yeah. to run past me and I'd get a rollicking because he's run past me. And to, players like that gave me more problems than 
than ones that were just you know just defenders basically yeah. the ones that wanted to keep bombing on and and attacking and annoying me <laughs> and, and I... but you stepped up a level you see when you played against those teams in the first division there were some good players in league two but when you stepped up it, it was noticeable your most um, luckiest and unluckiest ground that you played at oh luckiest mm. oh that's a good shout hmm I'm trying to think where I scored goals away from home. Uh, well, one of my favourites, obviously, is Anfield. Yeah. It's the only time in my whole career that I got a round of applause for scoring a goal at an away ground. Mm. And that was the cop. It was a great goal and it was... An well, it was a good goal. Place. It was in front of the cop okay. and I. it was a fantastic um, response that I got. I couldn't believe it. I thought, yeah. thought somebody had you know, being substituted and they were clapping somebody coming on. I, I, honestly, I was amazed. And that's the only time it happened to me in 500-odd games. But when you look back at that game and that goal in particular, it was a fantastic goal, wasn't it? Yeah, it gives me a lot of pre- a lot of pleasure. And that pass, probably, phenomenal. Probably, um, I wouldn't say it's the best goal I've ever scored, but it would be up in the, you know, the top five. What would be the best goal that you scored? I think uh, I scored one against Sunderland, which was similar to that in in as much that I had chipped it over the goalkeeper, but it was a little bit more... I had two or three defenders in in front of me, so I had to sort of manipulate the ball a little bit and just move it half a yard to give myself a little bit of room to clip it over. And it, it it sailed over the goalkeeper into the top far corner, so... I think that would probably be up there with my best. Is that why you? I got... must just tell you one more. Yeah, go on. I scored a similar goal to the one at Anfield, with a chip over the goalkeeper at Preston North End. Yeah. And David Pleat said to me after the game, Tom Finney said, "I really like your number 11. So I thought that'll do for me. If you don't do anything then for the rest of your career, to have that from Sir Tom Finney, it's yeah. just different class, isn't it? That's what I thought. Yeah, that'll do for me for yeah. the rest of my life. What a player Tom yeah, Finney was. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Left wing, right wing, down the middle. Anywhere. Unbelievable player. Yeah. I think when you get a compliment like that from somebody, you you never forget. No, you certainly don't. Is that the reason that you got the nickname Chip? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Possibly. Yeah. There was also another reason that um, it was Brian, Brian Horton, nicknamed me Chip. He he, he always thought I had a chip on my shoulder. <laughs> so he called me Chippy. And I, I told everybody it was because I kept trying to chip goalkeepers. <laughs> so it was, a, it was a bit of both, I think. He was some player, wasn't he, Brian Horton? And a bit of a nemesis of yours as well before he signed for Luton, wasn't he? Oh, yeah, yeah, we didn't, well, I didn't think we would get on, but mm. we're best mates, we're still best mates to this day, so we meet up and I speak to him every week, Brian, um, but we didn't, when he was at Brighton and I was at Swindon, there was a bit of rivalry for between the two clubs, because Brighton were always seen as the the big spenders at the time, to be honest, in in the third division, paying big money and good bonuses and getting promotion and stuff. And I think we always upped our game against them and there was a bit of needle there, you know? So Brian was another one who used to give me a bit of verbal, try and kick me. And then we were best of mates off the field though. It is quite incredible. I mean, that leads me to when I remembered Steve Perryman talking about Alan Ball in the players lounge. Ball, he says to Perryman the one day, you don't like me, do you? And he said, no, not really, Alan. He said, you would if you played with me. Yeah. And I think that's the thing with players. When you're playing against them, you might not like them. But when you play with them, you love them. Exactly. I mean, Brian came to... I was in America when Brian signed for Luton. And David Pleat rang me. Because I knew I was going back to Luton after I'd finished the season in Tampa. Yeah. And David said... um, I signed a new captain for this season. I said, oh, who's that? No, Brian Horton from Brighton. I went, oh, dear, we don't get on. <laughs> he said, really? I said, so I told him the story that I've just told you. 
and uh, he said you'll be fine and yeah we well when i went in to train for the first time after i got back from america brian was there and we shook hands had a chat and we've been mates ever since fantastic he gave me my first coaching job in football and i stayed with him for over 20 years as coach and assistant Phenomenal. so we're good mates great mates what was Platy like as a manager? He always come across as a really terrific guy and produced a great team at Luton Town. He, he was an excellent coach. Yeah. Excellent coach. And David was all geared for entertaining football. Yeah. He wanted us to entertain. He wanted us to... We never sat back and tried to try to draw or tried to win a game 1-0 and then shut up shop. We weren't capable of doing that. Mm. So if we went one up or two up, we went for three and three and four, you know. And sometimes it worked and sometimes it didn't. We had some games, I mean, five, three, seven, one, four, four. We had some fantastic games. So he, he was he was a good, great coach, David, and a, good, a, a thinker, really, about football. Yes, he was. He's always thinking and tinkering and trying to make us better than that. But it, it was great times. He had a great media presence as well, didn't he, David Plate? Yeah, very good. Very intelligent. He's, mm-hmm. he's, he's a deep thinker about football. And um, he was very passionate about it. It may not have come across in his personality as, you know, he wasn't as loud and vociferous as some of the managers and coaches, but he was, he was very passionate about Luton Town. I think when you're intelligent, you don't have to do all that. Because yep. he just he thought the game through, didn't he? And um, he put his ideas across to the media as us fans were watching match of the day. And I'm guessing he was similar in the dressing room and on the training pitch, putting his ideas across to you players. Yeah, he was. He was never ranting and raving, and mm. he was, um, you know, pretty calm about every situation. Really, I mean, we got. We got, like I said, when we first went up to the first division, we got some heavy defeats, and he would go, you know, right, we can, we know we can do better, but we move on. He was not, he wasn't one to dwell on things and yeah. worry about losing. You know, we've got next week, next week we, we'll start again on Monday and we'll get cracking and we'll prepare for the next game. And that's what he did. He didn't dwell on things. I think he realised that going up in class into the first division, we were going to have some tough days. He always struck me as a manager that would focus on what you could do rather than some managers criticise you for what you can't do. Well, that sums me up exactly. I was lucky enough to, to play for a manager who did say that to me. Yeah. I know what you can do, I know what you can't do, but I've signed you for what you can do Absolutely. and what you can bring to the club and what you can bring to the team. Yeah. And that was it, really. That's how he sold it to me. I know your weaknesses, but I don't dwell on it. But I know your strengths, and I know your strengths out, outweigh your weaknesses. So he was good like that, David, and it makes all different sorts. It makes all sorts. What did he used to say? It makes all types to make a team. Absolutely. And then managers knew how to cajole a performance out of a player, the ones to put their arms around, the ones to give a kick up the backside. Proper yep. old school management. If you could replay one game from your career, what game would it be and why? Oh, I think it would have to be my debut for Luton. Yeah. Because we were 1 0 down at half time and not doing too great. Um, and David calmly reminded us because there was, I think there were seven new players in the team that day out of the 11. So it was a, it was a new team. Yeah. And he just calmly reminded us of why he'd signed us all. In that 15 minutes, half-time, he got his point over because we won 6-1. <laughs> and we were 1-0 down at half-time. Who was that against? It was Oldham, and they were a decent team. Yeah. They were a good team back then with some good, experienced players. Um, but we just scored a goal, and we scored and went 2-1 up, and then we just didn't stop. We just attacked and attacked and basically wore them wore them down so so much that we, if the whistle hadn't have gone, we would have probably got double figures. Wow! Um, but it was great to play in, you know, because it was my first was. game um, since I signed from Swindon, and obviously, like I said, all the other boys were new to the to the club as well. So it was a great day. And was it a home debut? Was it Kenilworth Road? Yes, it was a home yeah. game. Yeah. What was that place like to play? 
fantastic um, atmosphere. Yeah. If you had 10,000 or 12,000 people in there, I mean, it was it was equivalent of 50,000 in other stadiums. Yeah. It was rocking. And it was, you know, it was lovely. The pitch wasn't the best, <clears throat> but we learned to play football on it. We didn't, you know, we, we were a passing team. We got... You got good skillful players that had to play and had to pass the ball, but yeah, it's a great place to play. I'm looking at your stats. I've never been one for stats, really. I'd like to look at a player and and see what I, I see through my eyes. But uh, looking through your stats in all competitions for Luton Town, 245 games, 94 goals for Swindon, 261, 82. So very very similar. For a wide player, them figures are phenomenal. And that doesn't include assists. Your assists must have been probably twice as many as your goals. So what I'm saying is, David Moss was in every game that he played, either assisting or scoring a goal. That's phenomenal. <laughs> yeah, they, uh, yeah, to be honest, I wasn't much into stats. But since, no. since I've retired, no. people have thrown sort of figures at me. So it, it looks OK. But I would love to have... Had our assists counting back in the day, yeah. Because, like you say, I would have my numbers would have been right up. So, but it wasn't to be, was it? And I think with VAR, I probably got another twenty or thirty in penalties. Yeah, absolutely. For some of the goals, some of the penalties that were turned down, and some of the goals I had disallowed for offside. Well, back in them days, you almost had to um, commit GBH to get a free kick, and it was very oh, similar yeah. in the box, wasn't it? <laughs> we got smashed in the box, and the referee would just run away and wave play on. It was fantastic. I remember scoring a great goal against Chelsea on a boxing day, a freezing cold bone. Honestly, the, it shouldn't have been played. The, the pitch was rock hard, mm. solid with, with ice, and I scored from... About 25 yards, a, a good volley. And um, I went over in the corner to celebrate. Two or three players joined me, but the referee disallowed the goal for Bob Hatton was offside. I said to Bob, you silly old devil, can't you get back quick enough? And while we were celebrating, <laughs> Chelsea went down and scored three players out of the game. Good grief. They took the kick, they took the kick free kick. Uh, the free kick quickly and went down and scored. Again, he wasn't best pleased, I tell you that. I bet he wasn't, but in them days, the offside law, I mean, it's stupid now, but it was ridiculous because a player could literally be on the right wing by the corner flag, nowhere near in, interfering with play. Yeah. But the flag would go up because he's offside, where you've hit it from 25 happened. yards. Which is... Yeah, I mean, it, it was literally that. And it sailed in the top of the net over the goalkeeper and Bob was... You know, I don't know, 12, 15 yards from yeah. goal and given offside, I was fuming. And I bet you were, I mean, not only were you fuming, you must have been absolutely gutted to score a worldie and then have that disallowed. You're yeah. absolutely gutted as a player, aren't you? Yeah, absolutely. It was a ridiculous um, law, wasn't it, at the time, yeah, to be stupid. honest? Stupid. If you're in an offside position, you're off. Whether you're interfering, whether you're anywhere near the goal, you you could be out on the wing and given yeah. offside, couldn't you? Yeah, absolutely crazy. It was ridiculous. Uh, like you say now, you know it's it's causing confusion now. But I think I don't know. I'm not sure about the game nowadays. To be honest, where it's going. I don't know what a I don't know what a goal is these days, David. I don't well, you can't celebrate, can you? I don't know. You, I don't know what offside is. I don't know what handball is. I don't know what the laws of the games the, the game is now. No, I no, don't I know. I have to wait until the television set tells me it's either a goal or not a goal. Because I'll play a game. I think that's onside, and then they go, "He's offside." And it, and it is crazy, but, you know... Well, they look, don't they? they yeah, every they goal, yeah. they check to see, is there yeah. a reason we can disallow it, basically? It annoys me. Back in our day, back in the 70s and the 80s, we'd score goals. And sadly, if the lino had his flag up with Bob that was in an offside position, then uh, the goal was disallowed. But pretty much <laughs> every, everything went, didn't it? You know, yeah. and, uh, you know, you'd score a goal and the crowd would erupt and that would be it. Uh, assists, you did mention assists. They did record assists in Tampa because you played in the NASL in 1981 for Tampa Bay. Yeah. Number 25, the numbers were quite important to the American crowd. Yeah, they were. They? they were big on the stats, yeah. Yeah. 
yeah but the, your number on the back of your shirt or on the front of your shirt as well they were really focused on numbers or certainly the seattle sounders fans were i don't know if tampa bay were as as uh, pedantic as that yeah I, yeah i think they were to be honest yeah it surprised me because i you know i wasn't used to that type of thing when i went over there mm-hmm because we were still playing in one to eleven, weren't yeah. we? Yeah, we were. Yeah, yeah. But then suddenly you had a squad number, and mm. and you stuck with the squad number. Um, yeah, I got a few assists over there as well as a few goals in Tampa. So they were recorded, and and it was quite, you know, it looked it looked the numbers looked quite good actually. So I would have been interested had we been doing that all those years ago. You played twenty two games, didn't you, for Tampa? Um. I'm not 100% sure, actually. Mm. On my records, I've got you playing 22 games, scoring nine goals and assisting 11 times. Right. So you're looking at 20 goals and assists in 22 games. And I, I think I scored another two goals in, in a playoff game. Who was that or, against? Uh, Vancouver. Uh, the Whitecaps. They were a decent Vancouver team, home. We beat them at home and we beat them away. And I scored in each game, but that I don't think they were because they were in like the playoffs. I don't think they they were recorded. How did you enjoy your time out there in Tampa Bay, and how did that move come about? Um, came out of the blue, really. It was a we were playing up at Bolton Wanderers on the Saturday, and David Pleat said to me, um, "I've had a phone call from Gordon Jago, who was the manager of Tampa Bay." Got you, yeah. Whether, whether you'd like to go and play out there and obviously come back to us after their season ends. And I was like, yes, of course I'm interested. <laughs> yeah, so I spoke to them and agreed, met, met somebody in London and agreed all the terms and everything and went out for about four months. It was fantastic. Took the wife, took the kids. The kids are very small. So a great experience for them. I loved it, to be honest. I loved the lifestyle, and although it was like 90 degrees every day and it was tough, yeah, tough terrible. to play football in, yeah. but well, we were in the pool every afternoon. <laughs> who, who were your teammates? Uh, oh, out big there. Frank Worthington. Ah, oh, legend, one of my heroes, Frank. Eh? Frankie Worthington, Kevin Keelan, yes, Norwich the cat. City yeah, goalkeeper. Yeah. yeah, Kevin the cat, Johnny Gorman. Yes, yeah. He played for um, Swindon, didn't he, and managed them. Uh, he Johnny Gorman, Swindon, yeah, 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 yeah. Good lad, John. Mm-hmm. Still friends with John now. Uh, those were the names. We had some South American boys who were decent players. Mm-hmm. We had some South African boys. Two, I think we had three South Africans who were good players. Yeah. So we had quite a quite a collection of, you know, different nationalities and such. It was uh, it was a lovely time. And memories of playing some of the games out there in the NASL. What was your, you know, when before you went out, did you know much or anything about Tampa Bay and um, and the NASL? Because when you went out there and started playing, you must have thought, wow, this is literally a whole new ball game. And some of the superstars that were on show in America, it was quite phenomenal, wasn't it? Well, it, it, it was a new ball game because there was yeah. an off offside line, wasn't there? Yeah, there was, yeah. You, you couldn't be offside. I think mm. it was a 30-yard line or something from the goal. You could be, you could only be offside in advance of that 30-yard line. I'm sure that's what it was. My yeah. memory's not, not mm-hmm. great. So that was different because it made the, the pitch bigger. Yeah. Teams couldn't push up to the halfway line, you know? Mm. So it gave you a little bit more space. Um, playing with Frank Worthington was absolutely wonderful. He was, I mean, I always liked him as a player, but playing with him, I realised how good he was. Fantastic player. And I mean, he was 33 then when Frank was out there, but his touch and vision and everything was brilliant. Um, Playing in big stadiums, some of them like baseball stadiums and NFL stadiums and that great experience. Playing on or weather pitches or grass pitches. So, it was, yeah, it was a lot different, but very, very enjoyable. Did you play against Cosmos? Yeah, we yeah, <laughs> we had to play them in the playoffs. Yeah. And it took, we played, they beat us at Tam, in Tampa. We flew straight up to their 
to New York after the game and played them in the week. And we beat them up in the Cosmos Stadium. And then we had to play a third game, which was also in the Cosmos Stadium, but they beat us in that, so we got knocked out. But, yeah, good experience, all of it. Who scored the goal, Giorgio Canaglia? Uh, you know what? I think I think he might have got one, yeah. yeah he might have got one in the game. That. He scored every game, practically. <laughs> and what a character he was, wasn't he, Giorgio? I mean, a night out with Giorgio and Frank must have been some event. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't keep that. I couldn't keep pace with Frank, that's for certain. Well, Frank always said before he went to Tampa Bay, it was Tampa Bay, but when he arrived there, they called them the Tampa Bay Rowdies. <laughs> <laughs> that was just a party he went to, I think. What a player, yeah. what a talent, yeah. and what wonderful memories. If you could revisit a season that you played during your career, what season would it be, David? Um, probably my second one at Luton yeah. in the second division, and I got... 24 league goals that year. Mm-hmm. That was, uh, although I got 20 a couple of times at Swindon, I think three times possibly. Um, I thought that was a bit special because the second division in those days with, you know, Sunderland and Newcastle yeah. and Queen's Park Rangers, and it, uh, it was a, it was a good league. Mm-hmm. It was a good league. So that, that pleased me. Birmingham City were a big club at the time, weren't they? Yeah, decent. We were decent. That yeah. second division had some great teams. Yeah, it was it. a good league. Well, you got the first division in old money and then the second division, and they were both good levels and good leagues of, yeah. uh, of football. Talk to me briefly about your promotion season because you, uh, you were champions in 81-82 and you're, uh, you then played in the, the first division. In the you? first division, yeah. We got... Um, the, the previous two seasons, we'd gone close. I think we'd finished yeah. fourth when we looked like, you know, going all the way. We just faded a little bit. Pre- previous to that, I think we finished fifth. And the same thing, we started really well and then tailed off. And then I think David himself said it in an interview. He felt that we were ready yeah. in that last season to go to go all the way. And we did, to be fair. We, we won it quite comfortably in the end. But... Um, it was a great season. I mean, we had some damn good players, to be honest. You know, the likes of Ricky, mm. Ricky Hill and Brian Steen in that in that division. Um, you know, Brian Horton, yeah. excellent Mal Donaghy, superb players, Kirk Stevens. So we had a, a really top class team. Uh, and every, to be fair, once we got our noses in front, every. Every game became like a cup final, really. Everybody wanted to knock us off our perch. I know we lost four matches that season. Can you remember who too? Because Watford were your biggest rivals in terms of uh, they come runners up, didn't they? And, and yeah. Norwich City uh, got third last game of the season when uh, unfortunately they got beat 2 1 uh, by Sheffield Wednesday. But I mean, again, they were a decent team. They got Keith Birchin and. Um, and uh, Dixie Dean from the Villa playing up front. Yeah, some great yeah. players at that level. No, there was it was a good league. Mm. It really was a tough league, and there were some top players. Um, greatest characters that you've met during your playing days. Who was the greatest character in your dressing room? Paul Fletcher always used to say to me, well, he said to me on one of the uh, podcasts, in those days, the dressing room consisted of an Englishman, an Irishman, a Scotsman and a Welsh. (laughs) And then you had a ladies' man, a comedian and a dresser. And every dressing room that you went to, you had them characters. I asked Dennis Mortimer who that character was or who those characters were in his uh, playing career. <laughs> and he said Ernie Hunt, he was all of them was Ernie Hunt. He was the right character. So who was yours? Who was the biggest characters? Uh, it was, we had a fantastic dressing room, but you, yeah. but I, I love that comment from Dennis Mortimer. I think that's brilliant. Mm. He, he's dead right, isn't he? Yes. I remember a character coming in our early days at Luton, came Alan Birchinall, came on loan. Oh, Birch a- came on loan from... Leicester, I think. Yeah, he would have. Yeah, would Leicester City, yeah. yeah. Came on loan. I mean, he, he, he lifted the whole dressing room. I bet he did. Oh, he was loud. He was leery. He was noisy. He was funny. It's the first, it's the first time I've ever seen anybody bring a hairdryer in for after the match to do his hair. 
honestly, I'd never seen that before. He took he took the dressing room by storm. Did Birch? He was funny. Jake Finley was a, a, a nutcase. He was a goalkeeper. Yeah, a nuisance in a in a nice way, if you know yeah. what I mean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If there was any pranks going on, you can bet your life he was behind it. Mal Donaghy was the quiet man. Mal very rarely said a word and mm. was a brilliant player. Just didn't didn't really utter anything. Just got on with his game and was eight out of ten every game basically. Yeah. Hardly put a foot wrong. Kirk Kirk was a character. Kirk and Jake together were the terrible twins. You had to avoid them at all costs. <laughs> then Ricky and Steeny were quiet in their own. You know, sen- Ricky was sensible, but a lovely, lovely guy. Yeah. Quiet in his own in his own way, but right still good fun. Well. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. We had. Then we had a bit later. We had some characters, like I said to you, Pete Nicholas came in with Fozzie and um, Mick Harford. Big characters in their own right in the dressing room. Sort of took took hold of the dressing room, basically, in a good way. And made sure the club stayed up. So, How hard was Mickey Harford? Yeah, I mean, he, he, was, was a, he was a better player than people gave him credit for, though. Oh, I thought he was a tremendous player. He played at Birmingham for a while. Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, Mickey Arthur got a great touch, got a good eye for goal. It was just everything that you want from a central striker. Um, everything. God, he was he's just different class. I think when you ask defenders who was the hardest player you played against, they either say Mick or Billy, and you just know who you're talking about. Yeah, you, you yeah. couldn't say that about players today. It's a, no, they're a dying. They wouldn't breed. live. They wouldn't. They wouldn't survive now, though, would they? I don't think we was having this uh, chat with Terry on uh, one of the podcasts, and we we come to the conclusion that players of today just would not be able to live in the seventies with no. the way that you had everything. You know, the players, the you, you know, the way that you you get tackled. I mean, you'd literally. You see tackles at, at rugby now that weren't as vicious as what it was at football in the 70s. And, of course, the pitches and the ball and the boots, etc., etc. I don't think any of them could live today. They, they certainly wouldn't have thrived no. like they possibly would today. But mm. um, I wouldn't swap it. It was it was good time. I mean, I would, the only thing I would swap would be the, <laughs> the, the money, money, obviously. Yeah, absolutely. But the rest of it, no. I mean, it was, it was fantastic. We all went out and had a couple of beers after the game, didn't we, on a Saturday night or a Wednesday night, whenever we played. Sometimes a Friday night. <laughs> <laughs> now, now. <laughs> well, Hudson and Sammy did at Norwich on a Thursday and a Friday. Oh, well, probably, yeah. But, uh, no, generally players, after Wednesday, looked after themselves, yeah. ready, ready for the weekend. And obviously not like it was today with the refueling and everything spot on, isn't it? And yeah. your diets and and recovery days and what have you. Our too recovery day was a couple of beers. Yeah, it's too scientific, isn't it, today, football? Well, that's probably why it's taken a bit of the, the yeah. sort of love. And I don't know, it's, mm. it, it's teams that other people say to me, I'm not a miserable old devil, you know, it's just mm. other people say to me, it's just not, you don't have the same enjoyment. No, I don't think you do. I mean, Shanksy said to me, the only place we used to run in them days is to the pub or the bookies. <laughs> <laughs> what was the best yeah. bit of advice that you were ever given, David? Uh, ooh. I don't know. Let me have a think. I think there was a guy, when I went to Swindon, first of all, uh, a guy called Morris Owen, who was a Swindon legend. He was a player... He ended up doing everything. I think he was at the club for about 50 years, but he scouted, he scouted and he's the one that took me to Swindon. Right. And he, he, he just said, because I, I used to speak to him when I wasn't getting anywhere near the first team, you know, and say, I don't think I've got a chance. The, the manager obviously doesn't like me or doesn't rate me. And he, he just used to say to me, just be yourself. Yeah. Don't try and be something else, which... Similar to David Pleat, I know what your strengths are. Don't try and, you know, don't try and prove you've got. I know you've got weaknesses, but don't don't think you you haven't got weaknesses. Be be who you are and play to your strengths. And that's what Morris was saying to me basically. Yeah. Just be yourself. The reason you were signed was because you've got something, and and yep. you've got to you've got to show the manager or whoever the whoever the manager is yeah. yourself. And I thought, yeah, I'm not going to try and change. 
No. I just be Don Rogers. That's all I want to be. <laughs> Away from the game, what did David Moss do in the uh, the seventies and the early eighties? Like I went to... into coaching when I finished playing. Yeah, I mean during your playing days. Well, what did we do? What would you do? Like TV programs? What TV programs were you watching? Oh, Mind oh, for instance. <laughs> yes, stuff like that. I loved it. Yeah. I don't know if I can mention it nowadays, but Benny Hill. Brilliant. I used to love it. But yeah, Minder and Top of the Pops and things like that was uh, all the old TV stuff. It was great. Um, but I was, you know, I had a young family and we, I had a lot of time with the kids when they were growing up, particularly as a player in those days because we had finished training and I was usually home by about one o'clock or something and, you know, you'd spend time with the kids or pick them up from school or take them out somewhere if the weather was nice. So, yeah, it was it was good times. It was good times to be uh, to have a young family, I think, as well. Yeah, I because agree. you could get time with them. When I when mm. I became a coach, and um, it's seven days a week, and it's basically twenty four seven. So luckily, my kids were sort of growing up when I ended up coaching and spending a lot of time away and nights out scouting and you know in those days the the, the coach and manager did everything yes there's no there's no warm-up yeah. guys you mm. did the warm-up if you yeah. were the coach you did the coaching sessions you went scouting the next week's opponents or you went scouting to watch players and that's what you did now there's jobs for everybody isn't there yeah, there is even uh, sleep coaches and stuff like that in the modern well, you game. Name it. Quite yeah. ridiculous. I've I mean, heard warm up and warm down people. It's incredible, isn't it? Yeah. It, it I is. mean, surely one can do the two <laughs> jobs. <laughs> well, you you would like to think that they'd be able to do both, but oh, you I never know in this modern game. And I find it pop, amazing. I do as well. I think it's quite unbelievable. Uh, top of the pops. Who's your favourite artist? What music was you listening to? Oh. Well, I like the dancers on top of the pops for Didn't a start. Pans people. Pans people. Yeah. Um, who did I like? I like the old usual stuff. I liked um, Slade and Rod yeah. Stewart and people like that. I actually loved Kate Bush, believe it or not. Yeah, what an artist. Wuthering Back arts. in the day, yeah, yeah, brilliant. I loved all that. But before that, I used to love the um, Tamla Motown stuff, you know. Tremendous, yeah. From the 70s, and that, I loved all that. What's the most prized possession that you uh, that you have from your, or you received from your playing days? Because, again, Ooh. shirts, a lot of players give the shirts away, give caps away. Amazing that you never got an England cap. I, do you know what? I didn't, we didn't even get a shirt, you know. Did you not? No, because in those days, believe it or not, I've told this story and people didn't believe me. At the end of the season... The shirts were all collected in, and the reserves and the youth team wore them the next season. So you couldn't get rid. I can remember when we got promotion. um, We clinched promotion at home to Shrewsbury, and the old kit manager at uh, Kitman at Luton, George Rogers, bless him, he told us as we were going out to sort of wave to the crowd and stuff, don't be giving your kit away, don't be giving your shirts away. The reserves are having it next season. Uh, yeah, that, that put a damper on it, to be honest. Um, I've got some some awards that I treasure, like Player of the Year and stuff like that yeah. from Luton and Swindon, and um, I've got PFA Team of the Year medals. I've got three of those, which I'm really honoured to have, where you where the pros vote for the yeah. best players in that division. So I've got two from the second division and one from the third at Swindon, two from Luton. So, yeah, things like that. Nice individual things that I can keep in the cupboard. Because that's the highest accolade, isn't it? You know, fans can vote for the favourite player. Yeah, You know, your manager can vote for his player. But when your peers are voting you as the best yeah. player in that position, in that team, that is just different class, isn't it? Yeah, I think that was one of my favourite awards to be on. Well, I got three of them, so I'm quite lucky. But yeah, because you play against these guys, and like I said before, you might have a few words with them and yeah. a bit of a bit of verbals and that. But at the end of the day, I think we all generally respect each other for what they, you know, what they do. And if I see a good player, I I respect a good player. 
Absolutely. And I think that's it's nice to get um, recognition from a fellow pro, definitely. Absolutely. If you could have a one-to-one uh, beer with anybody, dead or alive, who would it be with and why? Oh, Ian Botham. Oh, right, okay. Because <laughs> I love my cricket. Yeah. And he was a legend about the same time that I was playing football, yeah. wasn't he? Yeah, 70s. Yeah, yeah. yeah. 70s and 80s. So he was one of my... Because that, that was my passion out of football. That was my passion, cricket. So I would love to have sat down with a couple of beers and, and spoken to both of them. I thought that would have been a, a very interesting evening. I think it would. I mean, imagine Giorgio, Frank and Ian Botham. That would have, <laughs> and chucking Viv Richards as well into the mix. What a night I wouldn't, that would I wouldn't have survived that, would I? <laughs> well, I mean, Botham's ashes... That um that that test match against the Aussies at Edinburgh to this day arguably one of the greatest test matches that England Legendary. have ever played in, wasn't it? <clears throat> Legendary. I mean, I, I occasionally it comes on, doesn't it, on yeah. the cricket channel, and what have you? And occasionally you look at it and think, wow, how did he do this? Mm. I just thought he was a character as well. He wasn't just the. He was, wasn't he? Because at, mm. at the time, you know, it was like a gentleman's game, wasn't it? Cricket with the yeah, they're all snobs. You know, the ECB mm-hmm. and M- MCC and everything, but he was um, he bucked the trend, didn't he? He certainly did. I mean, it was the old school tie to a large degree. It still yeah. is, but uh, but Beefy went in there and you know he he turned the pavilion in, into a dressing room, didn't he? Yeah, definitely. Really, really. I mean, what a character uh, and a football player as well. He played for Scunthorpe United, he did, didn't he? He did. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Character, great player, and again. Arguably, in my lifetime, the greatest English cricketer that I've seen, uh, Ian Botham. What again? Well, certainly the, what a player. Yeah. What certainly a player, the best Botham. all-rounder, wasn't he? Oh, definitely. He Without just a shadow of doubt. He got everything because it, it weren't just with the bat, it weren't just with the ball, but it was his charisma as well, wasn't it? Ian everything, Botham. yeah. Just the whole package. Just brilliant. If you wasn't a football player, what would you have become? Whew. An accountant. My dad wanted me okay. to be an accountant. I had no chance of being it. I didn't go to school and stay at school long enough to be an accountant. Yeah. <laughs> but you did he pass your me. 11 plus. I passed my 11 plus. Yeah. I went to the grammar school, mm. but I didn't. I couldn't wait to leave there. Yeah. So I left at 16. Um, and my dad actually got me a job as an, a trainee accountant. Right. Before I got this um, opportunity to sign for Swindon as a pro. So I had to wait till, until my 17th birthday. So I left school at 16 and a bit and had to wait until my 17th birthday, but I don't think I would have become an accountant. Bless me, Dad. He wanted me to have a career, though, a sensible career, you know, because he spent all of his life, well, A, his young life in the Navy, and then B, in the car factory in Oxford. Yeah. He was there, I think, about 40 years, so... That's one thing I didn't want to do. Yeah. I yeah. didn't want to go and... He, he didn't want that for me either. He didn't want me to be in the factory like he was. So he he helped me and pushed me all the way in uh, into football. What was the greatest country that you visited during your career? Oh, well, I love the, US, I love the States when I went there to play mm. because I did see we played my first away trip when I got there was a three-game West Coast trip. So it was so far away that we went uh, two days before the game because of the jet lag, time difference, Mm. and we stayed 10 days over on the West Side playing three games. I can't remember. I know one of them was like San Diego because Bestie played for San Diego. Yeah. Um, That was – so I I love the States. Um, Oof. Playing wise, we didn't do much of that. We went, we actually we did. We went with Luton. We went on some trips and played some games during the mid-season just for a bit of warm weather. We actually went to Kuwait and Bahrain and places like that before people were travelling there. Yeah. So interesting. How did you get them trips out there to the Middle East? Because again. You know, they wasn't common places for uh, for teams to go to and no, people to no. travel. No, we had 
I think there must have been some agent or something yeah. that arranged them because David yeah. David was always he used to say to us um, after a game on Saturday, bring your passports in Monday. We'll be going somewhere. I'm not sure. I'm not quite sure yet. So it wasn't finalised, but we had to come in Monday prepared for three or four days away just in case we were going. <laughs> so I just have to say to the wife, um, I'm taking my passport. I'm not sure what's happening yet. I'll let you know. Yeah, I bet she thought, yeah, of course. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was a bit strange, but oh, we had some interesting ones. Yeah, Kuwait, you know, when nobody really was travelling out to those countries. Didn't Dave Mackay manage out there in Kuwait at some stage? Because there's been uh, a few yes. people. He did, didn't he? He did, he yeah. I think when out. he left... Um, he left Swindon to go to Derby, didn't he? Or, no, yeah. not, not Nottingham Forest. That's right, yeah. And then to Derby. And then I think after that, I think you're right, he went to Kuwait, yeah. Sure he was, yeah, sure he was. Because that was a strange one, wasn't it? Because yeah. Don Revy went there, didn't he? Yeah, he did. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that's a long story. Oh, I know yeah, but... I know that the, the press absolutely hammered Revy for walking out and taking the Arabs' uh, money, but it wasn't quite like that. Revy had got wind that England, the FA, were going to sack him, so he just done a runner before he, he got sacked. He did it, and I don't blame him. No, absolutely. That was the same as the cricket, wasn't it? The, the Blazers and all that with, with the FA yeah. in those days. Yeah, yeah absolutely. You know, so, they, they, yeah. they're, they're going to stab you in the back um, and the front as well if they can. So uh, if you can put one over them before, as Reevy did. Fair play. And, uh, I and don't blame him. No, I don't. One bit. No, no, I don't. Not one little bit. But again, the media will get behind it and they'll absolutely hammer you. Oh, really, yeah. But that wasn't yeah. the case. As you players know, the media says one thing. Reality is totally yeah. different at times. Yeah, you never believe. I certainly never believe 100% what I'm reading anyway. I believe. I try not to read nowadays, to be honest. I believe nothing I read, and I'm looking at things, and I'm believing little that I see, especially if it's on social media. Oh, God, yeah. What was your biggest, if only, moment? Me and Al do a a programme, My Life, My Music, and we always talk about the if-onlys. What's your biggest, if only, moment? Oh, if only... Or maybe Villa Park in 85. Okay. When we lost to Everton in the semi-final of the FA Cup. Yep. Um, I mean, I was coming to the end of my time at Luton anyway, so he was David was starting to build a new team. Um, that would have been a nice way to go, if only. If only yeah. um, four minutes to go, Kevin Sheedy scored a free kick. We were winning 1-0 with four minutes to go, and we lost. In extra time, Everton beat us 2-1 and they went on to win the Cup. So maybe I would have played at Wembley. That was uh, that was one of my ambitions as well from a young age. So I suppose that would have been if only we'd have hung on for another few minutes. And again, that was the thing about the FA Cup. It was every boy, every boyhood dream, wasn't it, to play yeah. at Wembley? You yeah. know, OK, the first division, yeah. But, you know, these days it's get fourth place in the Premier League rather than an FA Cup appearance. I mean, that's yep. never right. No, not at all. I I do think this last year or two, it's slightly changing back where the big teams are taking the FA Cup a little bit more seriously. Yeah, they yeah, they and they're putting are. the stronger teams out. Yeah. Um, but for a few years, I thought it was terrible, the, the lack of respect it was given. Because mm. it's a great competition. You know, where can Maidstone go and knock out a team top of the championship in the FA Cup, you know? It, only in England, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Well, uh, well yeah, England, Scotland, probably, I probably, suppose. Probably, but... probably France as well, if I'm honest. With that Cup de France, they, they, yeah, but they, they Yeah, but there's the never place, been... Yeah, but it's never... It's like in La Liga, isn't it? The Cup, the cup over there, they're not as interested in it as no. we were with the FA Cup. The FA Cup was historical. Yeah, and particularly in the 70s. You know, you look at Dickie Guy at Wimbledon when they played Leeds. You know, you look at Sunderland winning the FA Cup final against Leeds United. uh, Colchester knocking out Eriford and Newcastle. It is iconic and um, what a competition. uh, I think it's brilliant. Absolutely. That would be, I mean, it was, I'd love to have played at Wembley. It would have been my ambition when I was very, very young. 
play in a cup final at Wembley, but it wasn't to be. So that would be my if only moment. And finally, I haven't got a lot of regrets, to be honest, from, no? from playing. I had a decent length of career as well. You had a great career. So, you know, I was pro for 17 years, which yeah. is a good run, really. It's a fantastic and then I paid for it because I've had a new hip since then. Unfortunately, that's the way with players of yesteryear on different, well, probably on some, some of them, the second or the third knee, second hip. Um, it's all them pitches that you played, the stick that you took, and the cortisone injections that you had to have oh, to God, get yeah, you onto a football some, pitch. Mm. Yeah, we had some of those. Yeah, Just stick a needle in it so you can't feel it. Yeah, <laughs> literally. But uh, like I said earlier, I wouldn't change it. Yeah. Finally, David, is there any song or songs that evoke vivid memories of those Alcyon days of the 70s for you? Oh, you've got me now. I wish you'd have given me some time to prepare because yeah. I love my music. I as know, well. but I love it. Uddy always says to me, we do it off the cuff. We have no I, script. We just go and play. Yeah, I love I love my music. Uh, oh, dear. I'll tell you what I'm going to go with. Go on. Queens, we are the champions. Fantastic. Because it rung around the dressing room when we finally clinched from promotion from the second division. And it was blaring out on the tannoy as well. So, yeah, I'll go with that one. How many days did you celebrate that championship win? How many days? <laughs> it seemed to go on and on and on. I think in the end, I missed one event. I just said, oh, do you know what? I've had enough. <laughs> there was a there was a thing that was on the pitch, like a marquee on the pitch. And it was all the dinner and drinks. And I said, I said to my wife, you know, I can't be bothered. I really have. I'm all parted out, to be honest. Oh, fantastic. Some wonderful memories about your playing days, David. Can I thank you so much? And no, it's finally, my pleasure. Those, those were the days, my friend. Those were the days, yeah, absolutely. Loved every minute. Absolutely. And thank you for what you gave the game and what you gave us fans, not just Luton, not just Tampa Bay, not just Swindon, but generically all those football fans that enjoyed watching you and the great oh, teams that you play for, play football. Thanks. Very kind of you. Thank you very much. Thank you, David. Been Thank a pleasure. You. Thank you, sir. Yeah. Cheers, mate. Bye-bye now. Thanks Bye -bye. for listening, guys. Thank you. Cheers, mate.